Amen. Do you have your Bible with you this morning? Good. Galatians chapter 5 is where you need to go. Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, please grab one from the pew rack right in front of you or maybe even behind you. Turn to Galatians chapter 5 so we can follow along together as we study God's Word this morning. Last week in Galatians chapter 5, we shifted gears a bit as Paul gave a balancing word in case some people might abuse the freedom that is ours in Christ. He said clearly that it is not freedom to sin, but rather it is freedom to serve. Tim Keller says the first part of Galatians chapter 5 is about not losing gospel freedom, and the second part of chapter 5 is about not abusing gospel freedom. We talked about this gospel freedom, that in Christ you are free. If you have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you are free, profoundly free. And it is a glorious freedom, but we must be careful with that freedom. We must be careful with that freedom so that the flesh doesn't establish a beachhead at your freedom and wage war against your soul. And I told you last week that you need to know where you lean in this area. What is your fleshly leaning? What are the areas in which your flesh could establish a beachhead in your freedoms and wage war against your soul? And then finally, we saw last week that in our freedom, we must serve and love one another well. We must serve and love one another like Jesus. In fact, Martin Luther said, each of us should become a Christ to the other. And as we are Christ to one another... The result is that Christ fills us all, and we become a truly Christian community. And we want to be a truly Christian community. And I told you last week that one way we can do this, one specific way that we can love each other well and serve one another well, is with our words, with our conversations, that we can refuse to bite and devour one another with our words, and rather love and serve one another, build one another up with our words, and it will make a huge difference if we will speak life to one another. Well, this week we'll learn more about what it looks like to live out this new life, this new freedom that is ours in Christ. And even in saying that, it is clear that the encouragements in the text that we'll look at today presume that one is trusting in Jesus for justification. In other words, these are words for Christians. And if you are not a Christian today... Our prayer is that in seeing what this text says and understanding it, that God would draw you to himself and he would save you. That you would repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. And as Jason said a minute ago, spend the rest of your days following and serving him. The Bible is absolutely clear that the God that we worship is holy, holy, holy. He is completely righteous and he is completely just. And the Bible is also clear that we are not that we are sinful, wretched, miserable, that we are sinners by our nature and we are sinners by our choice and that we deserve condemnation. We deserve wrath and judgment for our sins. But the Bible is also clear that Jesus came to save sinners, that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up and get it all right. He came for us while we were sinners. Jesus died in the place of sinners. He took our sin upon himself and suffered the wrath, suffered the judgment, suffered the death that he did not deserve, but we rightly deserve. He died for us and he was buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead in victory over sin and death and hell. And he offers us victory. He offers us life. He offers us reconciliation to God through faith in him. So I invite you, even right at the beginning of the sermon today, to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. To turn away from your old ways and turn toward him. Trust in him. Depend on him to save you. 
Now, with all of that said, I want to remind you, this is for Christians. The text today is for believers and Christians. It is for all of us. This is not some word for the super spiritual elite among us. This is what life should look like if we have been redeemed. So pay attention. All Christians, everybody in the room, pay attention. But Christians especially, pay attention to this word in Galatians chapter 5. Today we're going to study verse 16, 17, and 18 closely. But I want us to read from verses 13 through verses 26 so that we'll see where that fits in the context of Galatians. So we're going to read a lot more than we're going to study today. Start with me in chapter 5, verse 13. This is what God's word says. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, verse 16, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its, its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Let's pray together. Father, help us uh, today to see what it looks like to live as a, redeemed, as a redeemed child of yours. Help us to live in this freedom that is ours by your grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We want to walk by the Spirit. And not carry out the desires of the flesh. But we recognize there is a struggle. There is a conflict. There is a war within. We want to live by the Spirit. We want to be led by the Spirit. We want to walk by the Spirit. So we pray that you bring that to pass for the sake of your own name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So like I said, verses 16, 17, and 18, that's going to be our focus today. And if you look at verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. It's important for us to notice that in this verse we have a command and a promise. The command is walk by the Spirit, and the promise is you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Let's talk about the command first. What does he mean by walk by the Spirit? Well, the first thing that we need to acknowledge is that it is a command. It is an imperative. It is a call to action. It is a command to be obeyed. 
So this is a call for us to actually walk by the Spirit. And it is in the present tense, which implies that this is an ongoing action. In fact, it may be best to translate it as keep on walking by the Spirit. Continue on walking by the Spirit. And even the idea of walking, even the image he uses, even the very verb that he uses, emphasizes this ongoing action. Not take a step by the Spirit, but walk by the Spirit. In other words, this is to be a pattern of life. There is to be, it is to be consistent and it is to be observable. That's the command that we're being called to, is to walk continually by the Spirit. John Piper describes it like this. He says, if the Christian life looks too hard, particularly in the area of loving one another, which we're talking about in Galatians, we must remember that we are not called to live it by ourselves. We must live it by the Spirit of God. The command to love is not a new legalistic burden laid on our back. It is what happens freely when we walk by the Spirit. So that's the command. Walk by the Spirit. It's interesting that if you skip down to verse 18, if you read verse 16 and 18 together, you will see that it is the work of the Spirit that is emphasized in all of this and not the work of the Christian. It's the work of the Spirit that is emphasized as we walk by, we walk by the Spirit. And as we are led, we are led by the Spirit. It's not us who are center stage in all of this. It is the Spirit at work in us that is at center stage in all of this. And Jesus speaks a word similar to this in John chapter 15, in a passage that you may be familiar with because of the image that he uses. In John chapter 15, starting in verse 4, Jesus says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. More simply, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, it is the Lord who is in the spotlight here, not us. It is the Spirit that is at work in us. So this is the command. Walk by the Spirit. And this command is the key to living the Christian life. And we'll see the details of what that looks like over the next few weeks. John MacArthur boils it down well when he says, In its most profound yet simple definition, the faithful Christian life is lived under the direction and by the power of the Spirit. I like that because he points out those two things. That the Christian life is lived under the direction of the Spirit and by the power of the Spirit. And those two things are true, and you're going to see that in this text, that we are lived, uh, the Christian life is lived under the direction of the Spirit, but not empowered by our own fleshly efforts. It's lived under the direction of the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit to follow that direction. So we are called to walk by the Spirit, and we are called to be led by the Spirit. Does this make sense? This is good news. This is good and liberating news for us that the call to walk by the Spirit is empowered by the Spirit. That it's not a call to be strong and be courageous and do the right thing. It's a call to walk by the Spirit in the power of that same Spirit. This is good news for us. So in verse 16, we see the command, walk by the Spirit. And then we see the promise, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. We talked about the flesh last week as Paul uh, contrasted the flesh and, uh, and love. We talked about the flesh as not referring to the physical body, but to the sinful inclination of fallen mankind. 
as referring to the old self whose supreme desire is to do its own will and to satisfy its sinful appetites, that the flesh is the synonym for self-will. He says, walk by the Spirit, that's the call, that's the command, and the promise is, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That word desire is a strong word. One scholar says it refers to a strong, compelling desire of any sort, whether good or evil. And so here is the promise. When we are walking by the Spirit, when we are following His direction, when we are empowered by His presence, when we are consumed by His purpose, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. There won't be room. There won't be space. There won't be time. There won't be desire. If we are walking by the Spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So the best way to walk by the Spirit... The best way to to fight the flesh is to walk by the Spirit, and the best way to walk by the Spirit is to fight the flesh. These two things go hand in hand. David Platt says this about this whole matter. He says, we should see that there is no neutral ground here. We are living in one sphere or the other. Either we are submitting to the Spirit's leadership or we are gratifying the flesh. The way you deal with your sin is not simply by saying no to the flesh, but by also saying yes to the Spirit's work. So this is what he lays out at the very beginning. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And now for the next few verses, he's going to elaborate on what that looks like. Really, going on into the next three or four weeks, he's going to elaborate on what it looks like to walk by the Spirit and not carry out the desires of the flesh. Look at verse 17. He says, For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. We might call this the battle or the conflict. Matt this week has been changing out the sign, and uh, we talked about what the text was this week, Galatians chapter 5, 16 to 18, um, and and I said probably best to put walk by the Spirit, but then we kind of jokingly said maybe we could put underneath it war within conflict within that maybe that would draw some people in like oh first Baptist is going to have a huge fight this week they put it they put it on the marquee come inside we're going to fight today Um, maybe that would draw a crowd I don't I never went by there to see what you put war within oh sweet maybe maybe that's why you're here today sorry to disappoint we're uh that I know of we're not going to have any fights in this room today the war that is within is within the Christian This struggle between the spirit and the flesh that is so real. Now, to be frank with you, there are some scholars that say that such a conflict between the flesh and the spirit does not exist in the truly redeemed person. They would say, they would say that the flesh at conversion is completely eradicated, that it is completely destroyed and eliminated, and all we have after the point of conversion is the influence of the spirit in our lives. There are scholars who say that. And to those guys, I want to say, tell me how that works out for you practically on a daily basis as you seek to walk faithfully with the Lord, to walk by the Spirit, as the text says. I want to say to them, don't you have moments where the internal battle seems blatantly obvious? Don't you have moments where you know what you should do, but you can't seem to do it? And then I want to say to them, are you better than the Apostle Paul? Are you better than the Apostle Paul who seems to live in the reality of that conflict and he describes it vividly in Romans chapter 7? So I want you to turn to Romans chapter 7. A couple of times today, um, 
I'm not going to make a ton of comment on the text. I'm going to use another text to comment on the text. And this is one of those times. I think Romans chapter 7 is one of those places we go where it seems clear that there is a real struggle in the life of a believer between the flesh and the spirit. Romans chapter 7, start in verse 14. God's word says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do. Hang on to that phrase. I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am, the no, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Verse 24 is key. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind in serving the law of God, but on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. So these scholars that say there's no such thing as the internal struggle in the life of a Christian, that at conversion, the, the flesh is completely eradicated and has no influence on your life anymore, I say, wow, then what is Paul talking about in Romans chapter 7? And their answer is, he's talking about his life before his conversion. And to that I say, phooey, the argument just cannot be made very strongly that that's what's going on here in Romans chapter 7. He is speaking like a redeemed man. And I say, phooey, because I'm living this. With, with the Spirit dwelling in me, I could say there are times where I do not do the good that I want to do. And I say, oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That there is coming a day where we will be set free from this body of death. This flesh and all of its fallenness, this old man, he'll be gone, gone, gone. But for now, we want to beat him down, starve him to death as much as we can. And walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. The language of conflict in this text is absolutely clear. These are opposed to one another. That, that word means to be hostile toward or to be an adversary of. It's not used often in Scripture, but when it is, it is heavy. And so therefore, I want to say to you that we would be wise. We would be wise men and women to recognize the reality of this battle. We would be wise to recognize the reality of this war within. But, let's be clear. If we are in Christ, the war has been won. Ultimately and decisively, it has been won. The conflict, however, remains until the day of completion. The war, ultimately and decisively, has been won. The flesh will not prevail, ultimately. But the conflict will remain 
until the day of completion. John Piper says it like this with some graphic imagery. This is so good. He says, when you take verse 16 and 17 together, the main point is not war, but victory for the Spirit. The decisive battle has been fought and won by the Spirit. Praise the Lord, right? The Spirit has captured the capital and broken the back of the resistance movement. The flesh is as good as dead. Its doom is sure. But there are outlying pockets of resistance. The gorillas of the flesh will not lay down their arms and must be fought back daily. The only way to do it is by the Spirit. And that's what it means to walk by the Spirit. So live that he gives victory over the, in, over the dwindling resistance movement of the flesh. That's a good word, right? And a good picture. That the war has been won. The capital has been captured. The resistance has been broken. But there are some guerrillas out there who don't know that yet. And they're not going to give up so easily. And so we fight them back daily by the Spirit. By the Spirit. We fight them back. So we would be wise to recognize the reality of this battle. Or to say it another way, we would be fools. We would be fools to walk around in this life as if we are not at war. If we walk around as if this battle doesn't exist, we will get picked off by the snipers. We will get taken out by the tripwires. We will be ruined in the process if we walk around like this life is a walk in the park and not a stroll through a battlefield. One last observation from the last phrase in this text when he says, so that you may not do the things that you pleased. You please. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, your desires... Your deepest desires, the things that you please, should be radically altered. In Christ, you don't want fleshly things anymore. Though you may be tempted by them, you don't ultimately want them anymore. You want to walk according to the Spirit. If you are in Christ, that deepest want to has been radically transformed. And if it hasn't been changed, if your deep desire has not been changed, you probably don't have the Spirit living in you. And that may be saying it pretty lightly. That if your deep desire after your conversion is the exact same as your deep desire before your conversion, you haven't been converted. That's part of what God does when He transforms our hearts is He gives us new desires. The deepest guiding desires of our life are transformed to not serve the self anymore, but serve the Lord. Not please ourself anymore, but please the, please the Lord and the folks around us. Those deep desires have to be transformed. They are transformed. If we are redeemed, if we have been saved by God's grace, we will have new want-tos. Look at verse 18. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. As I said before, when we take verse 16 and verse 18 together, we see that it is the Spirit's work that is emphasized in all this, not our work that is in the forefront. That's not to say we are completely passive in the matter, but it is to say that apart from Him, we can do nothing. Right? So don't hear me say that your walking by the Spirit is just you letting go and just let the Spirit do it. No, it is primarily the Spirit who is at work in you. It is primarily the Spirit who is leading you. But you are called to walk. You are called to be led by the Spirit. Make no mistake about that. It's not that we are completely passive, but that apart from Him, we can do nothing. Just as Jesus said, 
He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. ESV Study Bible has a great note on this verse, verse 18. It says, the verb implies an active personal involvement by the Holy Spirit in guiding Christians. And the present tense indicates his ongoing activity. If you are being led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So I want you now to turn to Romans chapter 8 for comment on this, on this part of the text. We'll let Paul comment on Paul and explain this a little deeper. I'm thankful that Laura read a bit of this this morning. We didn't coordinate that. Um, it stirs my heart when things like that happen that we don't plan. It uh, shows me that, that God is working something together here for good. He sang the first line of this a minute ago. Such a powerful passage. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But listen to this. If by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the spirit of God these are sons of God. Remember what he just said in Galatians chapter 5. If you are led by the Spirit of God, you are not under the law. If you are led by the Spirit of God, you are a son of God. So the question is, are you being led by the Spirit? Let's read back through this whole text again. Start in chapter 5, verse 13. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please." But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are 
immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So for application today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to invite the Lord to help you examine your life. I want you to invite the Lord to help you examine your own life. Are you walking by the Spirit? Are you led by the Spirit? Or are you walking in the flesh, according to the flesh, seeking its desires, gratifying its desires? Basically, the question is this. Are you a Christian? Are you a son, a child, a daughter of God? Have you been adopted into his family by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? Have your ultimate want-tos been transformed? Ask the Lord to help you. Help you see that clearly. God, have my desires changed? Do I want different things than I wanted before I met you? Is there war in your life? Or are you just giving in to the enemy? Are you fighting this war? Is there progress in this war? Are the pockets of resistance smaller, fewer, and farther between now than they were 20 years ago when you started walking with the Lord? Is there progress in this war? All of these questions are good questions for introspection because the main thing in all of life is, do you belong to God or not? And we don't want to go through life being uncertain of that. And so let's invite the Lord to help us examine our lives to see whether we belong to Him or not. John Piper says this, A Christian is not a person who experiences no bad desires. A Christian is a person who is at war with those desires by the power of the Spirit. Conflict in your soul is not all bad. Even though we long for the day when our flesh will be utterly defunct and only pure and loving desires will fill our hearts, yet there is something worse than war. There is something worse than war within, between the flesh and the Spirit. Namely, No war within, because the flesh controls the citadel and all the outposts. Praise God for the war within. Serenity in sin is death. That's a great line. Serenity in sin is death. The spirit has landed to do battle with the flesh. So take heart if your soul feels like a battlefield at times. The sign of whether you are indwelt by the spirit is not that you have no bad desires, but that you are at war with those bad desires. So the question is, are you at war? Or do you, like countless Christians, say, I'm struggling with pornography, I'm struggling with sexual immorality, I'm struggling with drunkenness, I'm struggling with anger, and there's no struggle at all. That makes me sick. I'm sick and tired of that. Christians saying, I'm struggling with this. When there's no war, there's no struggle. It's just a wallowing around in the mess. Is there war in your life? Is there struggle in your heart? Are you making progress against these gorillas of the flesh? Or is the flesh like totally in charge? And the scary truth may be that the flesh is totally in charge. 
The good news is, if you see that clearly, if the Lord helps you see that clearly, if he reveals to you your utter depravity and lostness and desperation before him, repent and believe. Repent and believe in Jesus and be delivered, saved, and rescued. He'll give you a new heart. Take out that old heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Spirit will invade and do battle. Maybe that's the best thing that can happen. There's no war in your heart. I beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God, to repent and believe today. Application number two is the application of the text. There is one command in the text, walk by the Spirit. I want us to do that. I want to tell you to do that. I want to command you to do that. Walk by the Spirit. And I want to encourage you that your effort at walking by the Spirit is empowered by the Spirit. You're not on your own in that. Walk by the Spirit. Have a relationship with Him. Know what He wants. The best way to know what the Spirit wants is to be well informed about what the Bible says. You'll know a lot about what is the Spirit's desire for you in a certain situation if you are familiar with the Bible. Walk by the Spirit. That's the positive side of it. I want to encourage you to do that. Walk by the Spirit. Have a relationship with Him. Walk with Him. Know Him. And the negative side of it is starve the old man out. That flesh, don't give it opportunity. Don't give it a place to establish a beachhead in your life. If you see a place where you're leaning and the flesh is kind of setting up camp or you notice that there's this guerrilla pack over here, a group of guerrilla soldiers over here who are fighting against you from the same place all the time, starve them out. Don't keep going over there and hanging out with them. What do you think will happen if you recognize an area of weakness and you just keep going and hanging out in that area of weakness? What do you think will happen? You'll be consumed. It'll take over. But if you recognize an area of weakness and you say, I'm going to start launching attacks by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, that's what Christian life looks like. That's where growth in Christ-likeness comes from. And the good news is, as you fight this war, you're not really the one fighting it. It's the Spirit who's fighting it in you and through you. So starve the old man out. Wage some war against the deeds of the body by the, by the Spirit. Let's stand together and pray. Father, help us as we examine our lives in these moments, in these few moments before we leave. Help us to examine our lives as we leave and as we go about our day to know for certain whether we are walking by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, or whether we are walking by the flesh, led by the flesh. God, we want to know the truth about ourselves because nothing matters more than whether, whether or not we belong to you whether or not we have been saved by grace through faith. Help us to see that clearly. And for some, we pray that you'll use this process to draw them to yourself and save them. And for others, we pray that you use this to propel them to greater Christ-likeness, greater maturity, greater victory over the pockets of fleshly resistance. Father, we want to walk by the Spirit. By the Spirit. And we want to wage war against the flesh by the Spirit. So we pray that you will bring this to pass for the sake of your own name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.